Welcome to Never Again Is Now, a podcast about anti-Semitism. In this episode, we will talk with one of America's biggest experts on the harassment of Jewish students and Zionist students at American university and college campuses. I'm Evelyn Marcus, and in addition to being a psychologist, I'm featured in the documentary about anti-Semitism, Never Again Is Now. I am a Dutch Jew and the daughter of Holocaust survivors. In 2006, I emigrated to the United States because of the rising anti-Semitism in Europe. I am Phyllis Simpler Miller, the founder of the free nonfiction Holocaust theater project, ThinEdgeTheWedge.com. I grew up in Elgin, Illinois, a town where the small Jewish community was not uh, one with Holocaust survivors, but was one that uh, parents and grandparents who had escaped the Tsar and other programs in Eastern Europe. And yet in September 1970, only 25 years after the end of World War II and the Holocaust, my U.S. Army officer husband and I were stationed in Munich, Germany, and this changed our lives as Jews forever. Tammy Rossman Benjamin is co-founder and director of AMCHA Initiative, an organization that documents and combats anti-Semitism at institutions of higher education in America. She has written numerous articles about ac academic anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism and the growing threat to the safety of Jewish students on university campuses. She was a faculty member in Hebrew and Jewish studies at the University of California, Santa Cruz from 1996 to 2016. Tammy, we're thrilled to have you on our show. Welcome. Hi, it's, a, it's really a pleasure to be with you, Phyllis Evelyn. Um, I'm very, very happy to be here today. Tammy, how does it affect you personally and let's say, for instance, emotionally, to fight this battle against anti-Semitism on campuses every day? Well, I got to admit that it it does get difficult. <laughs> you know, we, we review every day. We have a big database of um, anti-Semitic incidents on college campuses. We are, I think we, we have the only publicly accessible database of such things. And we try to keep track of whatever we can get our hands on. And I look at every incident before it goes into our, um, into our uh, database and onto our website. And I've got to tell you, it gets it gets upsetting sometimes, especially times like now, when there's a huge uptick in anti-Jewish, anti-Israel, anti-Zionist sentiment on college campuses. We're sort of in the in the midst of Israel Apartheid Week. It sort of rolls out on different campuses throughout the country um, at this time of year, and we've seen a nonstop torrent of anti-Israel and anti-Semitic incidents. And reading those incidents, reading about them, um, getting them ready to, to post onto our website, I, I have to admit, gets emotionally draining um, for sure. But I also want to say that it's really deeply meaningful. You know, I went into this business initially for my students. It wasn't a business at the time. It was, you know, in my 20 years of teaching um, Hebrew and Jewish studies, my students would come to me as the as the sort of most recognizable um, uh, Jewish pro-Israel faculty member. They would come to me and talk about what they were experiencing. And I stood up for them. I felt like they needed somebody to have their back and I could do that for them. And that was deeply meaningful, believing that I could actually make a difference for my students. And I continue to feel that way. And um, that's really what keeps me motivated, knowing that I can make a difference. And in fact, if I believe that I couldn't make a difference, I think that's the day that I would really stop. Mm. I would really stop doing what I'm doing. Right. So and what is the difference? What is the difference you make, you think? Well, I think I think we've raised awareness um, tremendously. I think that's that's the that's one of the biggest things that Amcha and and I personally have been able to do is is to put the issue. I think I think we started about twelve years ago. We we started Amcha. Um, we being my uh, my colleague, Dr. Leela Beckwith, an emeritus professor from UCLA, and I we started this. Uh, in 2012, but even before that, 
like a decade before that even we were friends and we were we were sort of comparing notes and talking about what was happening and how we could help Jewish students on our respective campuses and and we 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 really said you know we we can let, let's try to bring awareness of anti-Semitism. So actually the first thing we did before we started AMCHA, uh, almost like probably eight years before we started AMCHA, is that we started a, a speaker series at my university, at UC Santa Cruz, and we brought speakers to talk about anti-Semitism, um, contemporary anti-Semitism. And, and we did that because there was this steady drumbeat of anti-Israel, anti-Semitic, events that were being hosted and put on by departments and faculty at my university, UC Santa Cruz. This was back during the Second Intifada. And this was, I was, I was aghast that such, that it, you know, it wasn't students, you know, the Students for Justice in Palestine. At that time, it was the Muslim Student Association. It wasn't students that were doing it. It was faculty. It was whole departments that were sponsoring these wildly anti-Zionist, anti-Semitic events, conferences that called for the destruction of Israel, right? This was back in 2005, 2006. And so we said, let's on our own dime, right? Let's raise the money and bring speakers, you know, that would, that would give a different narrative, a different perspective, but particularly focusing on something that we thought was incontrovertible, which is anti-Semitism. Were, we weren't trying to promote Israel. We weren't bring, bringing speakers to support Israel. We were bringing speakers who talked about the, the effect of all of this on Jews, anti-Semitism. And, and yet, it was highly controversial. It was, we couldn't, we went to every department that had sponsored these awful anti-Israel, anti-Zionist, anti-Semitic incidents. And we said, look, come join us in the, you know, we, my husband as well um, uh, is a chemistry professor and he joined us, Leela and my husband and I, we had this little committee and we went to different departments that had sponsored these other anti-Israel events, we said, in the name of, uh, uh, of academic freedom and the university as a marketplace of ideas, please join us in co-sponsoring this event about anti-Semitism. No, not one ever, right? And this was for years. So that was, so we believe, but yet we raised the issue. We put it on the map. We said, this is a problem. Even though we got a lot of backlash, the backlash wasn't, was an indication that we were making a difference. That yeah. people, and we had, we had a hunt, we had, we brought Dennis Prager was the first speaker that we brought uh, to sort of kick off our series in 2004, I think it was. And we had 400 people come to this, to this event. It was, it was, it was really, I mean, they couldn't, there was not enough room. There was not enough parking. It was, it was wonderful. <laughs> and yet this, this was it. We got such flack, such backlash for that. Um, but, but ultimately we put it on the map. And I think that what AMCHA has done is to put campus anti-Semitism on the map. Now, there are a lot of groups who deal with campus anti-Semitism. Now it's a very, in some ways, it's a very crowded field. But what separates AMCHA, I think, from other organizations that are doing fine, good work, right? No, no, no criticism here. But, but I think what separates us is that as faculty, who founded this organization and continue to run this organization. We know the university from inside out. We know not just the incidents. We're not, we're not fire firemen, right? We don't try to put out, or we don't want to play whack-a-mole, right? We don't try to put out fires or, you know, when there's an incident, we run, we rush to try to get the university to do something about that incident. We believe that there's really a systemic problem. That, and, and it's not just on one campus, it's on all campuses. And so what we've tried to do with all of the things that we do, including the, the, the way that we keep track of everything so that we can look at the trends, not just collect the data. We have over, you know, close to 6,000 incidents now that we've collected since 2015. But we actually look at it as, 
as researchers, as scholars, we look at this, we do statistical studies, we look at hundreds of campuses and thousands of incidents over multiple years and we say, what's going on here? It's not just, so it's not just an incident here, an incident there. How do we stop this? Because ultimately I think if you take that approach, you, you, actually, you actually don't solve the problem. And in some ways you can make the problem worse because you don't recognize, you say, okay, we take it, we've taken care of that problem, we're done. But you're not done because that was just a symptom of a much larger problem. And so what I think that is our, again, our abiding strength is that we look at this as sort of academics and we say, what's going on here? systemically what's going what are the trends teaching us about what's really happening and to that extent i think that we are one if not the only group that actually looks at anti-semitism in that way and i think we still and i as you know as i hope i'll be able to share i think we still have a lot of things um to share and to make a difference to actually to actually uh, not just raise awareness, but actually to do something and to make suggestions to universities, to the public, to legislators, to education officials in, in, you know, in Washington that will actually make a difference in terms of campus anti-Semitism. Before we go to, to, what the, to, the, to the topic of what the students endure on campus, uh, could you briefly re share with us what your analysis of all these incidents, your scholarly look at and analysis of all these incidents that you have um, um, uh, taken note of and 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 listed? What is the path? What what is the analysis? What is the conclusion from that analysis? What is what is the systemic phenomenon? <laughs> that that's that's really a two or a three hour lecture. Okay. <laughs> but highlights. But but ultimately there are I, I think here's here's the here's the, the, the basic issue with respect to the systems, right? Because we have students, right? We have faculty. In fact, in fact, I joined into this fight because of what faculty were doing on my campus. So I actually come to this issue through the lens of a faculty member who could see what I think of as the corruption of academia, the politicization of academia that allowed anti-Zionism to take the place of scholarship. And once that happens on a campus, once faculty are using their classrooms as podiums to spew hatred of the Jewish state and hatred of those who support the Jewish state, of course, students, uh, you know, it's, it doesn't come from the students, it comes from the faculty, but it doesn't come really from the faculty, it comes from outside sources, right? So again, there you, it, it's to actually look at what's happening, who is, who is responsible for what, and if you, and these, these are interlocking systems, but they are ultimately, there is a, there is an order to them, there is a hierarchy of, of, of them, like the students are what I think of as the boots on the ground, <laughs> right, they are, they are just the, the, the final actors, we, we, we get all exercised about the students, oh, the students for justice in Palestine, we got to get them off the camp, but that, Ultimately, that's not, that's just the final end result of this whole downward motion that starts, that starts, I think, it, it, it comes from faculty. I mean, I'll, I think I will be able to get into this more as we have a more conversation, because I don't want to overwhelm you or others with, with the big picture. But ultimately, it's a system that, that because there are not enough safeguards built into the university to stop, for instance, faculty from using their classrooms inappropriately, from abusing academic freedom and not legitimately using it to basically you know, produce and transmit knowledge, which is their job, right? But when they use it to actually politicize instead of produce and transmit knowledge, that's when the problem comes in. But okay. ultimately, people do as you know, people do whatever they can get away with. That's that's the bottom line, right? Okay. People try to push the envelope everywhere to do what makes them feel good or feel virtuous or whatever. So but ultimately, we believe there has to be 
a mechanism at the top. There have to be in-place systems that, that put limits on what people can do. They're called policies. They're called laws, right? And ultimately, we are, we are a country and a system of laws and, and a university of policies that, that keep everybody doing their job, doing what they're supposed to do. And ultimately, what's happening now is that people are not doing what they're supposed to do. They're, they're, they're giving in to their political passions, and that's having a very unfortunate effect on Jewish students. So what I think is the solution is, again, not to go to the students and try to wipe them out or the faculty and try to wipe them out or individually or collectively, but rather to say to the administration, you're not doing your job. You're not keeping these faculty in check and these students in check, and they are violating you know, school policy and state law. And if they're not violating school policy, then your policies are not good and you have to fix them. So that's where, that's what I mean, that there's a bigger problem, a bigger system, and that you have to look at the whole and the interaction of the whole. And we see that statistically. We see that faculty behavior influences student, student behavior and student behavior influences whether or not Jewish students get hurt or not. And so so all of those things have, and looking at that, looking at the data has helped us to actually be able to map out the systems and to be able to say, look, this is what the problem is. Here's a good solution that's not just about whether or not a particular faculty member says something, but, but then make sure that there are safeguards so that no faculty member can abuse the classroom in the way that this faculty member has. Okay. So let's talk about boots on the ground, meaning the Jewish students. Can you give us an overview of what they are experiencing now that is, makes them feel uncomfortable on many, many university campuses in the United States? Right. So, the, so I think the biggest issue that people have to understand, if they don't already, is that, is that the problem. I mean, right there, there are two kinds of anti-Semitism. Let's just let's just lay it out. There's classic anti-Semitism, sort of, uh, you know, far right, white supremacist, neo-Nazi, uh, swastika type type anti-Semitism. And there's the new anti-Semitism, which is really connected to the Jewish state, and it's 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 anti-Zionism, and and there there are these two types of anti-Semitism, and unfortunately at this at this point in time, as you probably are aware, that everything has become so politicized, not just in our society with respect to right and left, Democrat, Republican, but but with respect to anti-Semitism, and everybody thinks that the other side is the anti, they're the real anti-Semites, right? The right thinks the left, oh, they're the real anti-Semites, right? And the left says, no, it's the right, the white supremacy, they're the real. So um, unfortunately, anti-Semitism has become a political football. But let's just, let's just recognize that there are two kinds of anti-Semitism, classic and anti-Zionist anti-Semitism. Those are the two kinds. On college campuses, we have very little, or let me put it this way, college campuses, there are 4,000 four-year uh, colleges and university campuses. We're not talking about 4,000 of them. We're talking about 150 of them where Jewish students tend to go, right, with high, the, the ones that are popular with Jewish students, not the ones that have two or three Jews, the ones that have 20%, 10% Jewish student population or more, right? On, col on those 150 campuses, the overwhelming majority of anti-Semitic incidents somehow involve Israel, right? And, and that's been growing over the last 10 years. So that the predominant form of anti-Semitism that we're seeing on college campuses is, is, really, is really animus directed towards the Jewish state that, that comes to be translated into acts of harassment of Jewish students. And again, I also want to talk about I also want to talk about um, the fact that there are different when I say anti-Semitism, there are speech hacks, right? They're just speech, uh, you know, saying that Jews are uh, um, uh, 
you know, evil, it, it is a speech act, or saying that Israel is an apartheid state isn't a speech act. They're both, in our estimation, anti-Semitic speech acts. And we use the um, IRA definition, the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance definition of anti-Semitism to be able to categorize acts of anti-Semitism. And so when we see an act of anti-Semitism, we'll use the definition and we'll determine, is it or is it not? Does it meet the definition? If so, we include it in our database. And if not, we don't. But within our- Can I just this definition gives very specific examples of what is legitimate criticism of Israel policies and what is an anti-Semitic statement about Israel. So that's what Tammy means when she says they evaluate the statements based on the IRA definition. Okay, go ahead. Thank you for that. Thanks for that clarification, Phyllis. So, um, yeah, so we use the definition to determine is this or is this not an anti-Semitic act? But then it's that's not that's not the only analysis we do. We look at the nature of the act. Is it a speech act that's directed, let's say, at Israel, or is it a speech act or a different kind of act that's directed specifically at Jews on campus, whether students, faculty, staff, or an invited guest, right? And if it's a speech act that's just, oh, Israel is an apartheid state, right? That's, that's an anti-Semitic speech act that we call anti-Semitic expression. But if it actually has the address, that speech act has the address of a Jew on campus. So it's a, an anti-Semitic speech act that's directed at, intended to harm or harass or upset a Jew on campus then we call it a different. So if, if instead of saying Israel is an apartheid state, it says you are a, an evil uh, person and a, and a baby kill, you know, you, 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 you have blood on your hands because uh, Israel is an apartheid state and killing babies, right? So you, um, uh, member of Hillel, uh, are, or you, Hillel, are an organization that, that supports baby killers and you're evil and, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So that's that speech act, that second speech act, that's targeted, has an address. We call that targeting. And we say there's a real difference between those two acts. So one of them we're just, we're keeping track of, right? It, it ultimately is free speech. It ultimately, it ultimately, is not an act of harassment. It isn't, it isn't meant to hurt somebody. It's meant to express an opinion, right? You, don't, you might not like that opinion, but it's an opinion. And our country, our constitution, our first amendment gives us the right to make such a statement, even if many people don't like it and think it's anti-Semitic. But we argue you don't have the right to use your speech acts to hurt Jews. And once that happens, then we say there's a problem. So we make a distinction just so it's clear. And when we do studies, we ultimately look and when we talk about the impact of something on Jewish students, when we talk about anti-Semitism, we often will only use in our studies the targeting incidents, right? Because we wanna know, is a certain, like, let's say we look at whether to BDS, does the boycott divestment sanctions movement activity, for instance, supporting BDS on apartheid walls or supporting BDS, calling for BDS resolutions and student government, etc. We've done several studies looking at the relationship between those kinds of actions in support of BDS, which are free speech, whether they incite or are at least statistically correlated with acts that actually target Jewish students for harm. And yes, there is a very strong correlation between those things. So ultimately being able to look at, at the relationship between speech acts and that are just out there and speech acts that, or other acts that actually vandalism and things like that, that target Jews or Jewish organizations, that, that's, really, that's really quite clear. So what are we seeing now? We are seeing, um, uh, as I said, a torrent of anti-Israel, anti-Zionist activity on college campuses across the country. 
And not only because this is this is apartheid Israel week, and you know again it sort of rolls out across the country, but also because of where we are with respect to Israel in the world right now. That and I would say since we put this sort of a date, this sort of watershed moment of the Israel Hamas war in May June uh, of 2021 as this sort of watershed moment that after which this anti-normalization, this this effort, which is what the boycott divestment sanctions movement, the BDS movement, has at its core, is to make Israel a pariah state in the world that is so evil that it's worthy of destruction. And that's the end goal of the BDS movement. Everybody knows that, right? But but so what happened in that Israel Hamas war is that there was so much support for the Palestinian side and against the Israel side, this groundswell of support, especially on college campuses and, and with unprecedented actions taken by university departments. So, so 160 university departments on 120 campuses across the US came out with statements condemning Israel as an apartheid state, as a genocidal state, and many of them in support of the academic boycott of Israel. University departments, whole departments, they said as feminist studies scholars, we are compelled to condemn Israel, right? We had never seen that before, ever, right? We had never seen even one department, really, I mean, maybe one, you know, in 10 years, but 160 departments came out within six weeks. To, they, they fell all over themselves to put out these anti-Zionist, anti-Semitic statements to actually say, this is who we are as departments, which was unprecedented, which, of course, unleashed a groundswell of, of anti-Israel sentiment on the campuses and the student base and everywhere. But also what happened it was that the Human Rights Watch and other external organizations actually accepted or, or stated that Israel is an apartheid state. So once you have these sort of formal external organizations calling Israel an apartheid state, and you have faculty departments that are saying that as, you know, th this is part of their disciplinary mission, to condemn Israel, to you know, to to put Israel in the in the docket, and the, to say that Israel is a pariah state and should be eliminated. Right. Once you have that, you can imagine what's happening on college campuses now. So the so the there are the 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 anti uh, the Israel apartheid weeks are just vicious, and they are openly calling for the elimination of the Jewish state. Right. They, that used to be sort of veiled and and not so explicit. Now it's open calls for the elimination of the Jewish state. And 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 and, and do does that also result in targeting of Jewish students? Right. Jewish so that's the thing. It's not just within re, within the last five or so years, I'd say. Um, it what's really ramped up is that it's not just about it's not just an attack on Israel. It's an attack on anyone who supports Israel on college campuses. And it's very personal. It's not just you, you, you know, it's not just really about Israel and you, you can't support it. It's that you are an evil person for supporting Israel and that there are efforts and there are more and more efforts to completely wipe out this anti-normalization effort that goes with the boycotts, particularly the academic boycott of Israel. Is It says that you, you, the academic boycott of Israel says you cannot allow the normalization of Israel in the academy. That's the goal of the academic boycott, is to make sure that Israel is not normalized in the academy, on university college campuses, anywhere in the world. But in this case, the US campaign for the academic boycott of Israel is on US campuses. And there are 3,000 faculty who have endured, more than 3,000 now, growing number of faculty, who have, who have uh, endorsed this boycott that have made it their mission to make sure that Israel is, is, is seen as a pariah state that is worthy of, of destruction. Uh, you're you're going to ask something 
Tell us. Well, I, I think also that isn't there a confusion, I think everywhere, not just in college campuses, between Jews and supporters of Israel. So that any Jew is a target, whether he or she is a vocal supporter of Israel or not. And that's what's happening happening on college campuses. All, I shouldn't say all, but many, many Jewish students feel threatened just because they're Jewish. So they stop wearing their, uh, their you know. Right, the absolute, that is, that's, that's absolutely an impact of what's happening here. But it's not, I, so it's not just outwardly Zionist students, and it's also not just Jewish students, because there are plenty of non-Jewish students that also speak up for Israel. So, but, 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 but there is an impact, and the impact is coming from this anti-Zionist sentiment. But the new issue, the one that we actually looked at in a recent report, is really there is an attack, not just on supporters of Israel or Jewish supporters of Israel, but on Jewish identity itself, right? That what we what we looked at in our in this recent study was, instead of just looking at the number of anti-Semitic incidents, we looked specifically at the nature of those incidents. That there was, and we saw this really, uh, uh, this incredible increase in an attack on the very identity of what is Jewish, right? So that now it's not, it, it, there is an attack. It's not just to say that, you know, you can't support Israel or Israel's an apartheid state and should be destroyed, whatever. It's to say that, that Zionism, that if you support Zionism as a Jew, you are not an authentic Jew. The real authentic Jews are the anti-Zionist Jews, right? So it's an, actually an attempt to replace Zion, Zionist Jews with anti-Zionist Jews in the minds of people in terms of what constitutes Judaism. It's not just that this, this is really become about Judaism, about Jews, about what constitutes Jewish identity. And so Jewish students are being told that Zionism has nothing to do with Judaism. They're being told that anti-Zionism has nothing to do with anti-Semitism. And who's telling them this? Anti-Zionist Jews, or people who use anti-Zionist Jews to promote that message. But ultimately, the, the scariest, what we call, we call this, we actually have a name for this, we call this redefinition, we call this type of uh, ident attack on Jewish identity, right? There's a, there's, so there are three levels of this attack. The, the, the biggest one is to just sort of not let any expression of Judaism or of, of Zionism of, 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 or of, uh, of Jewish feeling for Israel be expressed on campus. Shutting down, like, you know, CUNY, right? Even yesterday, we have examples. They have their campaigns, Zionists out and Zionism, Zionism out of CUNY, right? We've seen that slogan lots of, on lots of schools to actually make, make, schools, you know, completely devoid of any Zionism or Zionist content, you know, saying any course that has to do with Israel should not be taught. Uh, an Israel Center um, that at American University, they're protesting the Israel Center, this, this establishment of an Israel Center, because Israel's an apartheid, a horrible state, and it's going to hurt Palestinian students. So that's the, that's the outward level, the suppression and the shutting down of anything that has to do with an expression of, of Zionist or or even just a positive expression about Israel, even a neutral expression about Israel is is forbidden under this sort of campaign of anti-normalization. Then we have the sort of the next level is what we call denigration, which is actually denigrating Zionists on campus. That it's not just that Israel is baby killers, you're a baby killer because you support Israel as this apartheid pariah state. But then there is this third level, which is more nuanced, but I think it's, it's the most frightening level of all, I think, for Jews, ultimately, because it, what we call it redefinition, and it's, and it's taking these basic concepts of how Jews understand themselves, and they're turning them on it, their head in this sort of Orwellian fashion and saying, no, 
Judaism has nothing to do with Zionism. And if you think so, you're, you're just saying so because you're an evil person who supports the evil apartheid state. And you're just sort of, they, they, if you, if you, identify as a Zionist, then you are a malign actor, then you are a bad person, right? And, and, and because the authentic Jews, the real Jews, the, the true Jews who follow the Torah are the anti-Zionist Jews, right? And, and, to and to say that anti-Zionism has nothing to do with anti-Semitism. And how do you do that? You point to the other side. And you say, well, it's the real anti-Semites, you know, anti-Semites are those, you know, the, 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 the uh, neo-Nazis who go into synagogues and shoot people up. They're the real neo-Nazis. The real neo-Nazis are the Trump supporters. The real neo-Nazi, you know, the, the real anti-Semites are, et cetera, et cetera. We, we are uh, anti-racist. And in fact, we fight anti-Semitism, but anti-Zionism, but Zionism is a form of anti-Semitism. And so by being anti-Zionist, we in fact are the real fighters of anti-Semitism because we are anti-Zionist. I mean, the, it, the, it, you get, your, your mind gets twisted like a pretzel, right? Just trying to get their logic. But ultimately, who's saying this? Who is the biggest source of this in our recent study? Faculty. When faculty say that Zionism has nothing to do with Judaism, that Israel, that, that, that anti-Zionism is not anti-Semitism, and they say that, at, in, a, in a faculty, in a departmental statement, which they did, where if they say that in event after event after event, right, who is a student to say, but that's not true. That's not true. That's not my identity. So that's what we're finding. On, so it's not just, it's this assault on the very identity of Jewish students that is now the problem for Jewish students. And I think ultimately for the Jewish community and for the future of Judaism, for the future of, of American Jewry. That's how, what's happening on college campuses. How, uh, it's it's, it's, it's in, uh, unbelievable what, what you're sharing with us. How do Jewish students behave um, uh, under th this pressure? Well, I think there's, there, there's sort of, I mean, I, Look, there's always going to be the students that that just you want to hug them and kiss them because they're the ones who are willing to stand up no matter what. The, but but most students are not like that, right? Most students, in fact, a study that was done a month, one month before the outbreak of the Israel Hamas war, which again we said we put that mark as the watershed moment of the real tsunami of this anti-Israel, anti-Jewish sentiment on campus. A month before that, Jewishly identified students, I think mostly API, the students that were associated with the Jewish fraternity, so they had already identified themselves Jewishly on campus, said that they, so 50%, said that there are times that they hide their Jewish identity on campus, 50%. And now, if you think about what's after, again, after everything that I just explained to you has happened in the last two years, um, there's many, many Jewishly identified, formerly students who come onto campus with a strong Jewish identity, feel uncomfortable to express it and would rather just, you know, because look, why are students on university campuses? Not to stand up for Israel. That's not their primary goal. Their primary goal is to get a degree, is to have a good life, you know, to learn things and to go on and to use what they learn in order to thrive and 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 do do what they want to do. And that's that's but ultimately, and so it's this anti-Semitism which is which is hurting them in some way that impeding them to do, you know, to do what they're trying to do. So if a student, even a Jewishly identified student, thinks, because ultimately they're the lightning rod, if you're Jewishly identified, so yes, there are students who, even though they just go to a Shabbat dinner because they want to do something Jewish, but they don't feel good about Israel, or they don't have any connection to Israel, they could get smeared hard with that brush. That's true. That's like a, a, a you know, a casualty, right? But the, but the students who actually stand up and fight on behalf of Israel, they're the real targets, right? And we know that. So again, the, what's the, 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 the threshold? The, you know, the students, what's the, 
it's too hard. It's not worth it to stand up for Israel. Many will say, and they will go continue to want to hide their Jewish identity. But but let's face it, and I know this having been you know taught Jewish studies and 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 uh, and Hebrew for twenty years, right? And I know because I was a magnet for these students. Most students, even the ones who come to take a Hebrew class or or a Jewish studies class, come with little to no background about their Judaism. The vast majority, I would say, in America, that might not be true in Europe, it's true in America. The vast majority of Jewish students come either vaguely aff affiliated with, let's say, the reform movement, or not affiliated, and know very, very little. It's always, it's always um, uh, surprising to me how little they know. Those students are the ones that I really worry about, because college is a time where you have four years to explore your Jewishness. You have, you can open up, you don't, you're not under the scrutiny of your parents or your religious school principal, right? You're, right you're, you're away from that stuff. You do what you want to do and you can actually open up from your own free will and from your own desire to actually learn about your heritage. It's beautiful. And I see that. I saw that for 20 years with students who would dip their toe into their Jewish identity, take a Hebrew class and then go on to become really religious, right? Just from taking a, you know, I mean, they started with my Hebrew class. It was very gratifying. I think they're not going to do that anymore. I think the vast majority of that vast majority are, are just gonna not choose to engage in that stuff. And that's the short-term, that's the short-term harm that the identified students will suppress their identity. The unidentified students will completely jettison any desire to get to know their identity. But the long-term consequences of this are for our people, are for the next generation of Jews. We're talking about a whole generation of Jewish students that are being suppressed or completely you know, pushed out, or even worse, they go over to the dark side. They, they begin themselves to sort of, what's that syndrome, the Stockholm syndrome, to identify with the people who are oppressing them. And they become the Jew, you know, the poster children, the Jewish voice for peace. And they run interference for the students for justice in Palestine. They say, as a Jew, we can tell you, you know, as a Jew, they don't put in that knows nothing about their Judaism, right? And doesn't care about their people. They don't never put that in, but they say, as a Jew, we can tell you that anti-Zionism is virtuous and we are the authentic Jews. And it has nothing to do with anti-Semitism. It, 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 if I just imagine that that faculty and and students organization would speak like they do about Jewish identity if they would speak in the same tone about about being gay about being black and and African history or 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 Native American and and the history if they would talk in the same way what that would be unimaginable. That's right. And I think but, that's but it's totally it's the big picture towards Jews and Jews only. And and not even spontaneous. It's it's Jew, students, students for Justice in Palestine, it's 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 started by Hamas members. Right. Um the the the, the BDS movement is run by uh, Palestinian uh, uh, authorities in, in 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 the Middle East. It's it's not even spontaneous. It's no, war. What, so it's war against Israel and war war against yeah. Jews. Right. On American campuses. Right. So you're bringing up an incredibly important point, Evelyn, which is that no other campus identity group, none, absolutely none, is routinely subject to the kinds of well orchestrated campaigns of identity assault that Zionist and pro-Israel students have had to endure for really the last several years on college campuses across the country that have included the, you know, these boycotts, these shutdowns, the you know excluding all Zionist and pro-Israel expression for campus, the defamatory portrayals of Zionists, and this attempt to really redefine what it means to be a, a Jew, right? That nobody is going to redefine what it means to be a Black, except perhaps blacks, right? Except perhaps, you know, or, or same thing with the LGBTQ plus community, except perhaps members of that community who might decide 
on themselves. Nobody has had this thrust upon them in this way, like Jewish students. And these campaigns, as you point out, are not just like, let's think about SJP. SJP, it's not just, yes, there are chapters on over 200 campuses, but SJP has a national SJP. And that national SJP is connected to the international uh, boycott campaign. Students for Justice in Palestine, you mean? Right, Students for Justice in Palestine, right? What did I say? Yeah, you said the initials, but it's fine. What I need to say is this has been a fascinating conversation, but we are coming to the end. So we're going to have to look for last statements. But I will say, I just want to say, that's why this is classic anti-Semitism. I understand your two definitions, but the fact that this is the only anti- a movement of against a specific target across the country goes back to the fact that Jews are a scapegoat. They're a handy, right. convenient uh, mechanism, as we saw in the Holocaust, but for thousands of years before, of, of attacking the other, in many cases, safely under free speech, and why all of us have to speak up, which is why Evelyn and I have this program, and why we're so happy you came on it, Tammy, to encourage our listeners to speak up. Evelyn, do you have a last question before? Yes, yes. Okay. I, because we, we, we interrupted Tammy in, in, the, in the midst of an explanation. So we were talking about the connections of leadership between certain organizations that act on campuses. So there are Students for Justice in Palestine. It's And you said it's connected to the National Students for Justice in Palestine. Palestine, which is connected to organizations, you know, the the Palestinian National uh, uh, Campaign that that has Hamas, that's right dead center in the middle of it, and and organizations that are that are trying to affect the elimination of the Jewish state. So there, so there, so nothing happens independently they are they are completely in lockstep we see these campaigns across the country the same campaign the same campaigns attacking birthright the birthright the jewish birthright program the same campaigns attacking uh, uh courses uh, you know zionists out of cuny university of illinois blah 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 right the same campaigns this is all organized the same thing with faculty the faculty are part of the u.s campaign for the academic boycott of israel which is part of the international campaign. So this uh, this has created what is the tsunami that is orchestrated. It's com- it's it's not just the, the the students and faculty on an individual campus. It is it is it is the, this national campaign, international campaign, right. part of a war in the Middle right. East. And and uh, you may also mentioned uh, the MSA, the, the Muslim Students Association, right. which is one of the first front organizations of the Muslim Brotherhood in America since the 1960s. Um, Hamas is part of the Muslim uh, Brotherhood. Um, and uh, the Muslim Brotherhood is is vehemently against the existence of a Jewish state. Um, so this is not just spontaneous individual uh, anti-Semitism by individuals. This is... Um, I say it's, it's it's organized, right? So, do you absolutely organize at the very top and funded at the very top? But still, those of us at the grassroots level need to do our part to help, even though we're not working at that level. So, Tammy, do you have any last words? And then we're going to thank you so much for being on our show. I just want to put out there, I just want to sort of circle back to what I talked about at the very beginning. And, and I'm glad you and you, you allowed me the time to speak about it at the beginning, which was these these interlocking and then sort of hierarchical structures of of sort of culpability for the problem. That that ultimately we the, the problem is obvious now. I think I, I I as I explained it, everybody can see it right now. What's happening to Jewish students is just it's awful and it's it's unimaginable. It was unimaginable the state that it's gotten to right now. I continue, we continue to believe that the way to address this is structurally making sure that universities have policies in place that will support Jews, but but more importantly, given that what we're seeing is this onslaught on Jewish identity, that anything, any policy or law that has to do with identity or that will not address clear 
harassment, except if you're the right identity group, I think we're going to have trouble getting the protection that we need for Jewish students. That ultimately, we need to rethink how we think about anti-Semitism and how we think about addressing anti-Semitism. And the, what we, what I want to leave your listeners with is that we believe that the best way to do that is to force universities to protect every student. That ultimately, if every student got the protection that they deserve from behavior that no student should have to endure, no student should have to endure what Jewish students are enduring, right? And that shouldn't be because Jews have a, you know, 3,000, 4,000 year history of oppression. No, it should be because the behavior itself is so heinous that if it were directed against another group that you call a protected minority, you would address it in a nanosecond. So if it's directed at a Jew, or if it's directed at a Republican, or if it's directed at a Christian fundamentalist, right, even though you don't like their ideas and what they're saying, they too have a right. They're, they too are paying tuition. They too are being supported by taxpayer dollar. Why should that ha they have any less right to being protected from harassment? And we truly believe that when, when, when universities put into place policies that do not depend on the identity of the victim or the motivation of the perpetrator, that university administrators don't have to pull out a definition and say, oh, is this anti-Semitism or not anti-Semitism? Because if that's the case, if we have to wait until universities pull out a definition, agree with a definition, apply the definition, and then maybe do what they're supposed to do, we're lost, we're lost. Especially in the climate now where our identity is under attack. And why is our identity under attack? Because those who are attacking us do not want us to get the protections that are in the policies and in the laws that protect specific identity groups. Therefore, we say we have to jettison the whole system. We have to, we actually have to try to get universities and legislators to adopt new policies to enforce laws that are already on the books to ensure that every single person is equally protected. And I believe unless and until that is the case, that Jewish students will not be safe on uh, U.S. college and university campuses. Tammy, thank you so much. I think we could have a tagline saying, equal protection for all students, regardless of his or her identification, just equal protection for all students. So thank you, thank our listeners, those of you who have not yet seen Evelyn's documentary, Never Again Is Now, it's available on Amazon and YouTube. You can learn more about my nonfiction Holocaust play at thinedgeofthewedge.com. And as we end every episode, we say, please, without putting yourself in physical harm, speak up against anti-Semitism and all hate.